Okay, take your Bibles uh, here tonight and go to 1 John and chapter number 4. 1 John and chapter number 4. <clears throat> sure been excited about how the kids have been excited about Vacation Bible School. It's a blessing. Um, even this morning driving the bus, I mean, the kids were out ready. Monday, they weren't. <laughs> they weren't. <laughs> Rainy day. Uh, they were tired, I guess. I don't know. They just, but today they're out on the street. They're ready to go. We, we were dropping kids off this afternoon, and uh, one little boy, about four years old, he came out to his bus. His mom waved by to him. So, we're, I mean, we're dropping kids off, and she, he's coming up to us and gets on the bus, and I thought he was getting a flyer or a cookie or something, you know, and, but he came in, sat down, and mom's starting to drive away, and we had to send somebody out. Wait a minute. It's, it's in the morning, not in the afternoon, but, man, he was eager. He was ahead of time. And the families from Myanmar, so we had to send one of the young people out to translate. It was quite an experience, so never had that happen before. So we don't have one in the afternoon, right, with the tent? No, okay, just that's what I thought. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, First John chapter 4, let's look at, uh, we'll start in verse 7. Our, our text tonight is uh, going to be um, verse 12, really more 13. Uh, we covered verse 12 last week. But it's a, uh, it's a pivotal transitional verse that leads into the remainder of the chapter. So you'll see that as we get back into it here tonight. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Well, it's a great verse, couple of verses for our church family, isn't it? Beloved, let us love. How many of you want to sing the verse? Is that, I can't hardly read it without hearing the song, right? It's the power of music and, and um, song, verses put to music. But yeah, it's a good ver couple of verses for a church family. And then verse number nine, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If, any, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. No man has seen God at any time. Not Jesse Duplantis, not anybody else. Even though they may make a claim that they have, no man has seen God at any time. Right? But he says this, if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. I believe some little kids saw God this morning. You catch that? Not that they saw, no man has seen God at any time, but if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. So some little kid that you cared about today, maybe just took a little bit of time, sat down on the, butt, on the, on the chair beside them or whatever and tried to help them listen. <laughs> You're showing them God's love and they saw God's love in you. How else are they going to know God's love? That's it. Okay, verse 13, y'all ready? Y'all ready, sorry. Are you ready? <laughs> Hereby know we that we dwell in him. Hereby know we 
that we dwell in him and he in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. What a verse. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, watch this, God dwelleth in him and he in God. Everybody paying attention? God dwells in that person. That person dwells in God. Friend, listen, that is security. God in us, us in God. How about that? All right, he goes on, verse 16, and we have known and believed, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Three different times he says that. God dwells in us, we dwell in God. Individually now, I, I, I'm saying corporately we, but individual believers, God dwelleth in him and, and he dwelleth in God. Mutual indwelling. All right, so here's the title tonight, quite, quite simple. Um, evidence of mutual indwelling. Evidence. Is there evidence? There ought to be evidence in your life of mutual, mutual indwelling. God in us, us in God. You follow? Mutual indwelling. Spirit-produced security. May God bless the reading of his word. Let you be seated. Let's think about these verses here together tonight. <clears throat> Isn't it amazing that God, that the God of the Bible, the only true living God, isn't it amazing that God desires to dwell with us? I'm just trying to let that soak in in here a minute. I mean, isn't it amazing, truly, that God, that God wants, God wants to live within us, to be with us all the time. How many of you, those that maybe work bus today, you're kind of glad when you drop the last one off? Come on now, be honest, be honest. Whoo, how many of you say, actually, even though it's not the right order, let's take this individual home first. I know it's out of our way, but it will. <laughs> Can I say to you, God wants to dwell with that individual? How about that? God wants to dwell with you. I, mean, I, don't, I don't know if it's hitting you yet. I don't know if it's hitting you yet, you know, because we like to dwell or live with somebody that we like and it's easy to get along with. But think about yourself and the fact that God wants to live with you. Dwell in you. It's amazing. God wants to dwell with us. When you open up your Bible, you see that God created man and woman. We're going to see that on, on uh, Friday, I believe it is, of our week here at VBS. And, 
And God made Adam and Eve and he wanted to dwell with them. He walked with them in the cool of the day. He fellowshiped with man until sin, obviously, broke the fellowship. And yet uh, God took the initiative to make it where they could have renewed fellowship. As he shed the blood of, of innocent animals and clothed them. That's showing us just to what extent God wanted to go and would go and eventually all the way to Calvary would go. And then you think about um, the journeys of the children of Israel as they came through the wilderness and God tabernacled with them, right? He, he tented with them, he tabernacled with them, he dwelt with them. The tabernacle going across out of Egypt. Hey, we've got illustrations up here tonight. How about that? Why not just make use of it? Out of Egypt and they came out of there and, and God uh, had the tabernacle and he dwelt there. He dwelt among them. And maybe you also just read in 1 Kings and 2 Chronicles about uh, the magnificent uh, temple that Solomon built and how the glory of God so filled the place so that the priests couldn't even go in because God wanted to dwell with them. And yet their sin uh, caused the glory of God to depart from that dwelling place. And, and, uh, but then God brought them back into the land and the temple was rebuilt. But then, but then God himself came and dwelt among us and his name was called Emmanuel, which means this God with us. And then Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come, that he would send another comforter. Listen, not another of another kind, but another of the same kind. He would send the comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, not to dwell around us, but to dwell within us. Now, this is a mystery. This I'm not going to be able to explain fully to you tonight. I know that you would understand that. But nonetheless, the Bible teaches it that once a person places faith in Jesus Christ and they are indwelt by the Spirit of the living God. They're indwelt by God. You're indwelt by God. My soul, that's what the Bible says. That security, the word dwell. Did you notice that it shows up here in our Bibles as we're reading through these verses uh, five different times, beginning in verse number 12. If we had time, we could go back into 1 John and we could see the word abide, abide. He that saith he abideth in him ought to walk even as he walked. And, and so the word abide is the same word uh, that's translated here, dwell. It's, it's that word in John 15, how that if we abide in him and he abides in us, then he produces much fruit. It's that word God wants to dwell with us. This word uh, for dwell or abide is, is used uh, most often in the gospel of John 34 times, but it's the second most usage of the word abide or dwell. 18 times is in 1 John. So of all the books of the New Testament, it shows up in John's writings. It's used five times right here in verses 12 through 16. And thus it, over, it emphasizes over and over, God dwells in him and he in God. Does God dwell in you tonight? I want you to think about that. Now listen, we've had guests here on Wednesday night. And I don't want to take for granted that there may be somebody here that does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. There were some last week that, that were here that don't know Him as Savior. There may be somebody here tonight that does not know Jesus as Savior. I'm glad I can tell you tonight that God so loved you that He sent His only begotten Son to die in your place that you might be saved. But I would imagine for everybody that's here tonight and you did trust Jesus as your Savior and the Spirit of God lives within you, it won't hurt you to hear it again that, that you're safe and secure for all of eternity. 
It's a blessing. I like what Warren Wiersbe said about this particular passage. Let me just read a quick quote to you here. God is love. Is, the fact that God is love is not simply a doctrine of the Bible. It's an eternal fact. It's an eternal fact. God, is, God can't be other than loving. God is love. It's an eternal fact. Clearly, he says, demonstrated at Calvary. God has said something to us. God has done something for us. But all this is preparation for the third part that he's dealing with here in 1 John chapter number four. God does something in us. God says something to us. He says he loves us. God shows us that. He displays that. He demonstrated that on Mount Calvary. All that he might do something in us. And that is that he wants to dwell within us. It's amazing. God does something in us. We are not merely students reading a book or spectators watching a moving, a, a deeply moving event. We are participants with God in his love shown to us. I, I want to make sure you're catching the, the, uh, the essence of the message here tonight and what John is dealing with. He's dealing with those that had left, you know, as we've been seeing throughout our study of the book of First John and, and how that they deny that, that they were even sinners and they deny that Jesus came in the flesh and, and denied either his deity or, or his full deity as some believe that he became the Christ at his baptism and then he ceased to be the Christ at his crucifixion. That's all heresy because Jesus always has been the son of God and thank God always will be the son of God. And so there was things that they were believing about Jesus that wasn't right. And there were things they were believing about themselves that wasn't right, that they weren't a sinner and that they didn't need salvation thereby. And, and things that they were believing about the atonement, the blood atonement of Jesus Christ that was not right. And, and so John is, is saying, listen, we, we know, we can know for sure that we're saved because of who Jesus is. If, if you'll just acknowledge that you're a sinner, you can't do a thing to save yourself. But if you trust him, he'll save you and you can know it. Now I know for you and I, that we kind of get used to that because we know biblically that you can know, but what a blessing to know that we can. I just, um, I just went, uh, the Copes and, and Angie and I got to go up to Springfield and Brother Davidson's already preaching a revival up there. So he was there, uh, Brother Dave Hardy came in. And, and so a, a good number of us kind of gathered there for the memorial service of Carl Boonstra, age 98, who has been to 75 different foreign countries. Remarkable. He was, he was supposed to preach here on a Tuesday of our graduation preaching conference and just physically was not up to it, but he sent in a video and man, I'm telling you, he was in suit and tie and spoke to us from the heart. It was powerful. And he said, some have been praying. He said, one man has been praying. I believe if I remember this right. He said, uh, he was praying, Brother Boonstra, I've been praying that God would heal you. And Brother Boonstra said this, don't do that. I'm ready to go. Don't pray for me to be healed. Let me ask you tonight, are you ready to go? Now, I understand. We got, we got people varying ages here and, and some of you got your whole life ahead of you if Jesus tarries is coming. And I, I get it. I mean, there's things you want to do and you may say, well, I'm ready to go to heaven, just not like right now. But you need to be ready to go to heaven right now. And the Bible says that you can. What's the evidence then? How can you know? What's, what's the evidence that God dwells in you and you dwell in God? What's the evidence of that? 
I want you to look at the text here. He says in verse number 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. And so then verse 14, we have seen and do testify. So these are things that, that are verifiable. Uh, verse 15, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwelleth in him. And so verse 16, and we have known and believed. Do you see the assurance that John is conveying there? He's saying we can know these things for certainty. So what then would be the evidence that God dwells in us? Okay, so um, verse, the last part of verse number 12, as I mentioned, it really does set up the remainder of at least chapter number four, when he says, God dwelleth in him and his love is perfected in us, okay? So there's two parts there. I was tempted to go ahead and just deal with all of chapter four and just have a good stopping point. Uh, but really just this idea of him dwelling in us and us dwelling in him, that'll be enough. And then we'll come to that there's no fear in love because if you're in God and he's in you, you've got no reason to fear because perfect love casteth out fear. So we'll get to that. We just, we're just not going to get to it uh, here tonight. Okay. So the evidence uh, that, that um, the evidence that he dwells in us and we dwell in him, that mutual indwelling all, all week long, we've been um, with the skits and even with the Sunday school or sorry, with the VBS lessons, we've been talking about the biblical account of creation. And even some of what we've been doing is looking at the evidences from creation itself that points back not to a circle of gas that had an explosion and dust particles began to hit one another and congealed together. But no, we're looking at the fact that when, when by the way, when dirt clods hit one another, they don't stick, they explode. If asteroids get nail one another, they're not going to form a new planet. That's not how it happened. That's not how it happens. Amen. The evidence, the evidence, Lord, help me here not to just focus on this entirely, but man, it's so exciting. It's, I'm loving seeing the light bulb come on for kids. I'm teaching sixth grade boys, but, but I know others are teaching youngers. And, and listen, they can get it that God created the heavens and the earth and that they're not the product. You're not the product. And our earth is not the product of some evolutionary process. The evidence itself works against evolution. The evidence, the evidence. I, oh, mercy. I, I watched a video of, uh, of this man that was an atheist and was an evolutionist. And, and he said that as he began to study and he looked at the theories for how we got our moon and, and he looked at the theories, how we got our water, how the, the planet itself has so much water on it. Have you thought about that lately? How much water is around here? Well, how did that get here? Well, some, some that uh, would, would be deemed as smart say that, well, it was comets that just kept hitting the earth and there's a little bit of water in each of those comets. And that's how it all feels. Mercy, that takes a lot of faith to believe that. That's a lot of comments hitting this place. No, it's just, it's just e actually easier just to believe that these things did not just happen, but they are, they are the product of God's design. And he spoke these things into existence. And there's evidence, there's evidence. Okay. So if there's evidence of, if there's evidence of his first creation in, in creation, as we see it, is there evidence of his new creation in you? 
Because if any man be in Christ, listen, friend, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He is a new creation. Is there evidence in, in our world that God, that points back to God and points back to, to what the Bible says about biblical creation? There is evidence. Is there evidence that works against evolution? Yes. Is there evidence that would verify that you are a new creation in Christ? Well, there should be and there can be. And it'll point back to God's word. Or is the evidence working against you? I didn't mean to make it quiet. I just mean to make you think. Is there evidence? And what John is saying here is that we can look and see and know these things that there is evidence. Okay, so look, at, look again at verse number 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us. And here, here really it is because he hath given us of his spirit. The spirit of God comes to live within the believer. And like Romans 8 and verse number 16 says, the spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. What does the spirit of God say to you? Okay, now, now listen, listen to this very carefully. The spirit of God, the person of the Trinity, right? We all together. Not a force, but a person. Jesus is a person. The father is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. The three are God. The three are one. Are you with me here? Okay, so the Holy Spirit of God is, is not a force. It's, it's, it's not anything weird. It is the person of the Trinity. And so the Spirit of God, here's what happens. When the gospel is preached, then Jesus said he would convict, convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of the judgment to come. He convicts us of sin because we are sinners. He convicts us or convinces us of Righteousness, because we have none. And he convinces us, if you allow me to use that word, that judgment is coming. And that's what the Spirit of God does. Calvinists believe that the Spirit of God zaps a person. And they are born again so that then they repent and place faith in Jesus Christ. That's against this person's will. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Spirit of God will use the Word of God to bring conviction. And then, then, dear friend, it is your choice either to repent, place faith in Jesus Christ, or reject the gospel. It's really that simple. But once you repent and place faith in Jesus Christ, then you are born again by the Spirit of God into the family of God, sealed into the day of redemption. All right, look at Ephesians chapter 1 and, and, and uh, verse... Number 13 and 14. Would you find that just right quick? I know we don't normally turn to a lot of passages, but I want you to see this here. This is so important because in this verse here, in chapter four, he says, here's how we know that we're in him and he's in us. It's by the spirit that he gave us. And then actually back in chapter three and verse number 24, he says exactly the same thing that he, he, we dwell in him and he in us by the spirit that he's given us. So it's the same idea. The spirit of God will tell you whether you are a child of God or not. Okay. Ephesians 1, and, and look at verse 13 and 14. Paul writing, and he's writing to these Ephesian believers. He says, in whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. Everybody see that? Did I, did I read it before you got there? In whom ye also trusted after that you heard the word of truth. Listen, listen folks, people can't be saved if they don't hear the gospel. 
They can't be. You say, well, can't they look up in the sky and see the creation and believe that there's a creator? Yes, they can do that, but they don't understand sin and they don't understand that Jesus is the redeemer, the savior of the world. They have to hear the gospel. They have to. We, we, cannot, we cannot call ourselves biblical and believe anything else. There's no plan B. Okay, so in whom he says, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, after you believed, you were what? Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession of the praise of his glory. Now, okay, I'll be honest with you. We don't have time to unearth all that, but I'm telling you, it's powerful. How many of you heard the gospel as a child? And we're saved as a child. Okay, great. How many of you heard it as a teenager and got saved as a teenager? Okay, how many of you as an adult? Okay, all right, regardless, you had to hear the gospel first, right? You heard the gospel, the mo watch this, the moment that you believed, that means trusted him. It doesn't just mean believed about him, but you trusted him for your salvation. The moment that you believed, you were sealed. Sealed. A powerful word. I restudied this section from our, our study in Ephesians, and I was reminded that that seal shows security and protection. Remember when the Romans, uh, when, when Pilate said, seal the tomb and make it as sure as you can? Well, that Roman seal that would go across that tomb, uh, the, st the stone there was the protection of Rome, the highest authority in that land, but <laughs> there was a higher authority than Rome that broke that seal. But watch this. The fact that you're saved and sealed, if you are, by the Spirit of God, there's no authority higher than God. And thus, there's no angel. There's no person that will take away your salvation. You are sealed, the Bible says, until the day of redemption. You're his. He'll protect you. It shows the authenticity of something. You know, you put a stamp on it, you notarize it. it it's, to, it's to verify this is authentic. I, I've got a few uh, baseballs that are uh, signed in my office, one by Mickey Mantle that Coach Thomas gave me many years ago. But I've got a little card that shows the authentic, that it's authentic. <laughs> I'm going too fast to say the big word. So it shows that it's authentic. Well, listen, you are sealed to the day of redemption. It is authentic that if you trusted him the way that the Bible says in terms of salvation, then you are a genuine believer. You're sealed to the day of redemption. Wow. Sealed. Genuine. It shows this. I, I was encouraged by this, that the transaction is complete. It's done. Once, uh, once I sold the truck to Trevor reluctantly, I mean, glad, gratefully, it was notarized and, and, and it's done. It's sealed. The transaction is done. When you trusted Christ as your Savior, listen, this is so encouraging. If you little, really let it go in, the moment you trusted him, the transaction was done and never to be undone. Never, never to be undone. Sealed under the day of redemption. And, and then it, obviously it shows ownership, but then the earnest, the earnest of our inheritance, earnest money, you, you bought a house, maybe you put earnest money down. That indicates, okay, there's more to come. Okay, he says that the Holy Spirit is the earnest of our inheritance. It's, it's, um, 
it's payment ahead of time, so to speak, indicating. In, I'll enjoy this all by myself if I have to, because this is so good. He is the earnest of our inheritance, meaning that let me give you the Holy Spirit and just know there's more to come. But it doesn't mean that we have to wait to enjoy it till then. You can enjoy God now. He's the earnest of our inheritance. Sealed to the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit of God then brings about new life in us so that then there's even a desire for God in the things of God. Sam, as I mentioned, is preaching revival up there at Brean Baptist Church in Springfield. And so he preached all day Sunday, all day, um, yeah, all day Sunday and then Monday night. And, and so Tuesday, uh, one of the moms there at Berean, or may have been on Monday, I guess it was, one of the moms said uh, to her little boy uh, that's, uh, I don't know, four or five years old, said, well, we, we get ready for church. He said, church, church on Monday. And she said, yeah, we got to go to church. He said, we got to go back to that survival. <laughs> well, <laughs> there might be something to that, right? For a church to survive, it's got to be revived, right? But he was looking at it as survival. I hope you're not in survival mode here. On Wednesday night. Now I realize you know it's a busy week and and uh, and and we're busy with B VBS and so forth. But but I, I hope when you come to church, dear friend, I hope it's because you want to be here. I hope it's not that you're in survival mode. Oh man, I hope I get through another service. Hey, wait a minute. You're only if you're saved. You're only saved by the grace of God forever. You're only sealed by the Spirit of God forever till the day of redemption. You've only got the earnest of His inheritance coming your way every single day. You've only got the Word of God here. You've only got a loving church family. Hey, listen. Don't just survive. Thrive. Thrive. The Spirit of God is is working, and you can know that you're saved and be happy about it. Amen. <laughs> All right, that's verse 13. How are we doing? <laughs> okay, so the two evidences. I'm just going to give them to you, and then, then this part actually does go a little bit more quickly. But the two evidences are this. If you are saved by the Spirit of God and He lives within you, then an evidence of that is that you're believing right about Jesus Christ. Another evidence of that, according to the text, is that, that you love the brothers, that you have a love for people. Okay, now think about it. If a person is saved, if a, this is not very difficult, but it's exactly what he's saying, unless I've missed something. It's, it's what he's saying right here, that if a person is saved and the Spirit of God lives within them, don't they believe right about Jesus? That they have to be saved through Him and who He is? They would believe right about that. If they believe that He's only part of their salvation, then they're not truly born again. You get what I'm saying there. Or they don't believe that He's truly God, then they're, they're not truly saved. You can't be saved and not believe who He really is. But if you are saved, then the Spirit of God lives within you. And the Spirit of God says, yes, you believe right about Jesus, basically. And, and so he deals with that. And then he says, and also this, if you're saved, then you're going to have love for others. Now, I realize that we're going to have some up and down times and we're going to need survival. I mean, revival, we're going to need that. I get that. I understand that. But look what he says. Let's take a closer look. Everybody still with me here? All right. Look at it in verse number, uh, verse number 14. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now listen, that captures both. That captures the doctrine of who Jesus is and it captures the love of God that's been shed abroad to us. It captures both. 
Okay, look at it again. And we have seen and do testify. We have seen. This is evidence. You and I have not believed a fable. We have evidence. We have seen. John, this is hearkening back all the way to chapter one when he says we've touched him. We've heard him. We've seen him. And yet many of them, the, the false teachers, were denying his humanity. John says we've seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son into the world to be the savior of the world. The world, the world, uh, talking about that lost society, that, that sinful society that all of us were a part of, estranged from God, enemies with God, and, and, and foreign in our, in our ways towards God. But thank God he loved us so much that he sent his son. He sent his son, the, the, the fully God's son, always the son of God. He sent him to be the savior. Doesn't that show the love of God? the savior of the world. Now, don't misunderstand that part of the verse. It does not mean that everybody is automatically saved. It means that everybody can be saved. It does point to this. It's another verse in our Bible that points to an unlimited atonement, meaning this, Jesus shed his blood for every single person and thereby every single person could be saved and will be saved if they're calling him for salvation. The savior of the world. Really, this ties back to John chapter number four, where uh, the woman that came to the well went back to town and said, come see a man that told me everything that ever I did. Is that what she said? And they came and then they said this. Now we believe, not just because of your testimony, but we've seen for ourselves that he is indeed the savior of the world. The savior of the world. Listen, you know what that means? There's, there's, not, there's not another way to be saved. It's not like the Muslims have a way to be saved and we have a way to be saved. No, there's only one Savior. Amen. It's not like the Buddhists have a way to be saved and then we have a way to be saved. No, there's only one Savior. It's not like the Native American has a way to be okay and right with God. No, it means this, that he's the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. That's why we've got to keep knocking doors. There's not a plan B here. He's the savior of the world. But let me ask you this. Is he your savior? I'm glad that, I'm glad that on April the 1st, yes, on April Fool's Day, 1984, he went from being the savior of the world to being my personal savior. I, I'm not saying tonight that you have to remember the date. You, you may not remember the date, but you ought to at least be able to remember the occasion. You know, now, if you're married, hopefully you remember the date that you got married. That's really important. You know, but, but at least you ought to remember the occasion. You know. <laughs> but, you know, truly, if you got married and you don't even remember it, you're still married. <laughs> isn't that right, Brother Jane? I mean, that's right, isn't it? Even if you don't remember it, you're still married. That just came to my mind. But it's true. It is true. You know, uh, our friend, Brother John, uh, Bishop, totally through uh, spinal meningitis, forgot everything, had to relearn to talk and walk. And, and he re still refers to her, his wife, as my Donna. And he said, y'all remember, remember this? He'd say, they tell me that we're married. <laughs> well, because of what happened to him, he doesn't remember it. 
But that doesn't change the fact that he is married. And you know, you, you, may, you may come down someday with dementia or Alzheimer's or something like that, and you may not remember a lot of things, but isn't it amazing? I, I don't know if you've been around some people that are saved. They don't forget some of those songs, even though that they can't remember who they are. I believe it just gives evidence. This is a saved person. But even if you don't remember, he does. Isn't that good? Is there, is there some evidence right there? that he's not just the savior of the world, but your savior. Okay. So, so evidence would be that you understand obviously the gospel and you understand who Jesus is and you trusted him for who he is. That would be evidence that you're saved. Okay. All right. Now let, let's look at verse number 15. Verse 15 is really elaborating on that part of the evidence. In verse 15, he says, whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. God dwelleth in him and he in God, okay? Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, now, now be careful right there, all right? Whosoever shall confess, but the tense of the verb matters. All right, now I, I realize sometimes you preacher goes technical, you, you, you start to glaze over, but grammar matters. Your English teacher told you that and you didn't believe her until you went to college and then now you wish that you could go back, right? Because grammar matters. Okay, look, this is not a future tense and it's not a present tense. It's what's called aorist tense, which means this, that they confess at one point in time. It's not like they shall confess that he is the son of God. In fact, if it's future tense, it's too late for you because every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But that's those that aren't saved that someday will have to acknowledge who he truly is. That is not the tense of the verb that you want to live in. Nor is it present tense. That would give the idea that as long as you are confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then God dwells in you and, he dwell, and you dwell in God. That would make it contingent on you holding true. All right? But if you heard the gospel... And you were convicted of sin. Now, I, I want to pause right there intentionally to say, I believe it's very important that people get convicted of sin. Because they don't know they need a Savior if they don't know that they're a sinner. And that's why we try to be very careful with children, teenagers, and adults to make sure that you understand, yes, I am a sinner. But if you understood you're a sinner and that he's the Savior, and you confess, you acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And the idea there is this, a public confession or a, a calling out upon him. We would call that the moment of a person's salvation. That if a person shall confess Jesus Christ is the Son of God, in trusting him, that's the idea that he's com communicating right there. Is everybody following me? It's not a future tense. It's not a present tense. It is at one point in time, you understood you're a sinner. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And you trusted Jesus as he is to save you. He dwells in you. He dwells in you and you dwell in him. And that will never, ever, ever change. How about that? That is good. Because if it depends on me being faithful... I'd be out every other day or every other minute. Huh? Thank God it depends on him. Now you got a responsibility in it that you got to repent and place faith in him, but that's your part. He did all the work. All right. So the first evidence is that you believe right about Jesus Christ and that you're genuinely saved according to the gospel. Second one, you got it. You ready? Short point right here. You better get it right now because it's going to go fast. You're going to miss it. if you. It's kind of like going through my... The town that I lived in, halfway Kentucky, halfway between Scottsville and Bowling Green. 
<laughs> literally, it had a general store. It's entering halfway, leaving halfway, literally. Okay, this is going to be a short point, I think. <laughs> Look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. Haven't we already covered that? So if we've already covered it, covered it evidently it's very important that we get it down, that we know. And, and by the way, that means that we've experienced it personally. We've known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Amen. And evidence that you are truly born again is that you have a love for people. That you have a love for one another. That's the context of 1 John. I'd be concerned about somebody that doesn't have a concern for people. Because our Savior does. Are you following this? Now, wait a minute. Don't get mixed up on personality because some of you might get concerned and think, maybe I'm not saved because I'm not a people person. Okay, look, you don't have to be a people person to be saved. <laughs> right, some of you are saying, man, I'm relieved by that. <laughs> but watch this. If you've experienced the love of God in your life, doesn't it make sense that you'd want others to experience that same love in their life? That's what John is saying. And that's an evidence that I've been born again. And I can know that I've been born again and that he dwells in me and I dwell in him. And because we have love for one another, that's what John is communicating. So I got to ask you tonight, number one, do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure? Close with this. Carl Boonstra <clears throat> invited to go to church by a... Uh, Lady at a grocery store. He was working at his dad's grocery store in Denver, Colorado. He went there and went, I think he was 14 years old. Help me out, Angie. Is that about right? Somewhere right in there, 14, 15 years old. Sat beside a young man in that Sunday school class called Al Wells. Sat beside another young man in that Sunday school class called Clifford Clark. I don't know. I hear some responding to that because you know those names. Al Wells and Clifford Clark were preachers of the Word of God. But right here, they were 14 years old. And so was Carl Boonshire. Can you imagine in one Sunday school class, those three that were greatly used to God, I wonder who's in your Sunday school class tomorrow. Well, the teacher said, those of you, those of you that know Jesus as your Savior, I want you to stand up and everybody stand up. And those of you that know Him as your Savior, I want you to turn around and face the other wall. And all of them did that knew Jesus as Savior. Carl Boonstra stood standing looking at the teacher. And the teacher began to witness to him and led him to Christ. So that later on in his life at age 98, somebody says, Brother Boonstra, we're praying for you that God will heal you. And he said, don't do that. I'm ready to go. Well, that went all the way back to age 14 when the Spirit of God convicted him of his sin and that there's a Savior and the only way to be saved is through Jesus and he trusted Jesus as his Savior and became a preacher. Some of you need to consider that God might want to use your life full time because this, this message of the gospel merits your consideration should my life be used full time to get it out everywhere we go. Every believer ought to be doing that anyways. But some of you ought to be uh, answering God's call in your life to do that full time. And, and so Carl Boonster did, and he went to 75 countries telling them, Jesus saves the love of God for people, for children. Brother Abel's gave testimony that day. 
at the memorial service. And he said, I was struck by how many pictures that parents sent to me of Carl Boonstra and their, their kids at church. He loved people. You didn't have to be an, a, an important person to be important to Carl Boonstra because Jesus was already important to him and that made everybody important. There's evidence in Carl Boonstra's life that he was saved. Well, I'm glad to look around here tonight and know there's evidence in your life as well that you know Jesus as your Savior and you love people. And that's what John is saying. You can know by what your belief is in Jesus and how your love is for others. It can either confirm and affirm, yes, I know him as my Savior, or if you can't say that, well, I don't know that I've ever placed faith in him. You need to tonight. And if there's no evidence of change or growth in your life, you ought to really go back to see what was it that you did then or you're truly born again. I'm not here to make anybody doubt their salvation. I am here to make everybody think, have I truly trusted him as my savior? Let's stand together here tonight. Thank you for your kind attention. Evidence of that mutual indwelling. Has there been a time and a place how many of you could raise your hand and say, I know for sure if I died tonight, I'd go to heaven. This is a Wednesday night. I know it's a strange question. We don't always ask that. But what a blessing to get to raise our hand and say, yes, I know I'm sealed to the day of redemption. Thank you. Praise the Lord. The Holy Spirit of God lives within. Is there anybody right now, though, that you couldn't raise your hand honestly right there because you haven't trusted Jesus as your personal Savior? You heard tonight He's the Savior of the world, but I'm asking you now, is He your Savior. Is there someone here that raise their hand and say, would you pray for me? Because I don't know that for sure. I'm looking all around the auditorium here tonight. Just raise your hand real high. I'm not going to, I'm not going to embarrass you in any way that I can think of. Have anybody come to you or anything like that? Just, would you raise your hand? Is there anybody like that? Just a moment. I'm not sure. Father, tonight, you know, the hearts of men and women and boys and girls. And I thank you, dear God, that you love us and and uh, Lord, that, <clears throat> that through Jesus, we can know for sure that we're going to heaven. I thank you that our friend, Brother Carl Boonstra, is in your presence right now. And God, I pray that you'd help us. We certainly need to apply this message by being diligent and getting the message out to others right here in this area and around the world too. So please help us, I pray. And I thank you. Uh, for the assurance of our salvation that comes through Jesus Christ. And I pray you'd help us, as the text says, to love one another even as you have loved us. In Jesus' name.